Shalom, brothers and sisters. Uh, I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Corey assisting me today. We wanted to do something a little bit different for the brothers and sisters worldwide. Today we wanted to do a Q&A. So we've had questions presented to the church, um, and we wanted to take time out today to answer some of those questions if we can. Uh, we don't know everything, um, but the things that we do know, we would try to explain in its simplest form. Uh, for those who have questions, could email us at commandmentkeepers, the number one, the number eight at hotmail.com. And we will get back to you, um, whether it be in a Q&A or answer questions during a, a traditional uh, broadcast. So we're going to have Brother Corey read some of the questions and uh, we'll go into that. So question number one, how do you feel about child support? Child support. Brothers and sisters, I'm guessing that this is a sister that asked this question. Um, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians. There's a couple of ways. Now, in no way am I saying that a man should not be responsible. Because I understand that you have some, you know, deadbeats out there, for better lack of words, who, you know, do not want to take care of their responsibility. And it's hard on sisters to do the majority of the work on their own. So we, we understand that, but we want to give you not really our opinion, but what the Bible has to say in regards to child support. Because why? There was a time where whoever you had this child with, you loved each other. So we, we must try to go back to that place. And, you know, things transpire throughout a relationship where, you know, you, people become bitter, uh, people become angry. But remember, try to go back to that time where you loved each other. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 6, and we're going to read verse 1. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to the law before the unjust, and not before the saints. So the Most High is saying that we should not go before law concerning any matters. Not the police, not you know the government, not the judicial system. Why? Because they're looking to destroy both parties, brothers and sisters. They're not looking from a pious vantage point. They're looking to destroy both sides of, of the both parties, brothers and sisters. Now, are we bringing this out to say that because a brother or sister believe that the police or authority will never be um, called, that then, you know, they may act unjustly towards somebody? No, we're not saying that. What we are saying is that the Bible says we must try to come together without authority. Because why? You'll call the police over. I remember there was a time where uh, a, a sister and her her husband got into a you know got into an argument like couples do sometimes, like 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 what happens in a marriage. And the police come and they shoot this brother. And the mother and the wife are saying, we, you know, we didn't want this to happen. We were just having an altercation, not a physical altercation, but we were just having an altercation. And now my child's father is dead. Read verse one again, brother. Verse one. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to the law before the unjust and not before the saints? Continue. Verse two. Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you. Are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matter? So the, the children of Israel, who are the saints, those who made a covenant to the Most High by sacrifice, shall judge the world. 
So why should we go to an unjust judicial system in order for, you know, for small matters? Now, if there's something transpiring where there's, you know, physical altercations or some level of abuse, then, of course, uh, if you don't have a body or a church where you can call those men that's in that church and have you separated from that predicament, then, you know, you would have to call the authorities. But for things that aren't, you know, threatening, physically threatening, we should do our best to withstand, to stay out of the judicial system. Because why? Let's say you put your child's father on child support. Do you know that that child support will stop him from leaving the country? And even though you may not be with the young man, I don't think you want the, you know, the father of your child to die here in Babylon. Continue, brother. Verse three. Know ye not that we will judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Right. We will judge angels, brothers and sisters. So should we not judge mere mortals in righteousness? So to the sister, if it's a sister that's asking this particular question, um, you should pray to the most high, number one. And you should try to find that love that you have. Because why? There's a time when we're in a relationship, we know that there's a certain manner in which we need to talk to each other in order to get what we want. You cannot, you know, talk to somebody all types of, you know, crazy ways and expect it to be beneficial to a relationship, whether it be a a marriage or whether it be, you know, as a working relationship as parents. So go back to that time where you loved each other. Go back to the good times and build on that because why? We shall judge the angels. We shall judge the world. Therefore, there's no need. The Most High do not want us to call the authorities because why? You're calling a deaf angel. You're pretty much saying, you know, uh, can we have a deaf angel come over to my house and just shoot my father? That's what you're saying. Because why? They have a gun on their head. You don't need a, you don't need somebody to come in with with a gun to, you know, to 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 mediate minuscule things. And I'm not trying to say it's minuscule because I don't want to be dismissive with this case. But brothers and sisters, we must understand that the, the judicial system is not the way the most high want us to handle things. What's the next question, brother? Question number two. Was Muhammad prophesied in the Bible? Muhammad. Now, I I'm I would believe that the Muhammad um, this question is being asked about would be the Muhammad of the the Muslims or Islam. Now, I've spoken to Muslims um, not recently, but years ago when I I met a Muslim brother, an, an older gentleman, and I tried to show him in the Bible that the children of Israel are in his record. In the Quran, it says the children of Israel are God's chosen people. In the Quran, a lot of people don't know that the first five books of the Quran are actually the first five books of Moses. So without the Bible, there would be no Quran. Now, I believe the scripture that they would use. Now, I could be wrong because I don't talk to Muslims on a daily basis. But the scripture I, I, th- that somebody used towards me to, to, to use to say Muhammad was prophesied out of the Bible was Deuteronomy 18 and 15. Now, why would they try to say Muhammad is prophesied out of the Bible? There's a couple reasons, brothers and sisters, because they know that without the Bible, it doesn't hold it, it doesn't hold weight. So people would try to tie things to the Bible like Christmas, like Easter, 
because they know people follow the Bible. They follow God. They don't follow anybody else. So, you know, the devil will try to tie things to the Bible that aren't in scripture at all. So I'm going to go to the scripture that a Muslim pulled on me a few years back. Deuteronomy 18 and 15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. Now, this is the scripture they'll use, brothers and sisters. They'll say, see, there's a prophet that's going to be raised up out of the midst of thee as thy brethren. So then they'll say, well, Ishmael, right? Ishmael was a brother of Isaac. So this is talking about Muhammad. This is not talking about Muhammad, brothers and sisters. If this is the scripture that they're using, read that one more time, brother. Verse 15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee. Of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. Right, so this is Moses. They're saying that that there will be a prophet like like a brethren to Moses. So they're, they're, what they'll claim is Ishmael, who was a son of who? Abraham. Abraham had Isaac, right? And he had Ishmael. Ishmael was 13 years elder than Isaac. So they'll use this to say, see, Muhammad was prophesied out of the Bible. This scripture, however... If you rightfully divide the word, it is not talking about Muhammad. How do we know that? This is talking about Christ. Because why? Christ was not from the tribe of Levi. Christ was from the tribe of Judah. Judah and Levi are brethren. So this is prophecy of Christ being, you know, Christ being risen up to, to lead the people. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren. Like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. Right, now we're going to show you how do we know that this is Christ and not Muhammad. Number one, Muhammad's name is not in the Bible. So that's pure philosophy and speculation. We have to just deal with the scriptures. The Bible is not going to lead you to something outside of the Bible. You cannot make this book with any other book. And I, and I told the brother this. I said, how are you, how you going to use the Bible and say that the Bible is leading you to go into another record? The Bible said, seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. See, so you must seek out of the book of the Most High, not out of the Quran or any other record, any other ideologies. We're going to prove it. Let's go to Acts 3 in the New Testament, brothers and sisters. We're going we're gonna to show you that this is Christ. So if, you know, a Muslim spring this on you, because why? Our people, the children of Israel, especially predominantly the black tribes, a lot of our people are dealing in Islam. Uh, or are Muslims dealing with the fruit of Islam. Why? Because they're taught that Islam is the black man's or the black woman's religion, which is false. It, it is not the religion of of us. We, our people did not follow Islam, brothers and sisters. Islam came hundreds of years after Christ. Muhammad came after Christ. In fact, the Jews are who taught Muhammad. Read verse 22, brother. Acts 3 and 22. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. So this is talking about Moses, a brethren unto Moses. Anybody who have any, you know, history acrimen or biblical acrimen know that Moses was from the tribe of Levi. They also know that Christ is of the tribe of Judah. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 22. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. 
Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. Continue. Verse 23. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Ye, yeah, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Right. So what the scripture is saying that whoever do not follow this prophet will be destroyed. It also says that from Samuel, you know, on this particular prophet was prophesied out of the Bible. So I, you know, it wouldn't be rightfully dividing the word if a Muslim used one scripture to try to, uh, you know, to, to try to put Muhammad in the Bible. Whatever prophet this is talking about, brothers and sisters, is spoken all throughout the Tanakh, all throughout the Old Testament. From Genesis on, brothers and sisters, we're going to show you who is this talking about? Is this talking about Muhammad or is this talking about Christ? We're going to go to Luke 24 and 27 to prove to you that this is talking about our Savior, the Son of God, which is Christ. We're going to read Luke 24 and 27. Luke 24, verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures, the thing concerning himself. Actually, brother, let's jump up a couple scriptures and let's see. Let's go to. Let's go to. Let's start at 23, brother, for context. Luke 24 and 23. And when they found not his body, they came saying, that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. This is talking about Christ. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Ought not who? Christ have to suffer these things and to enter into his glory. Continue. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Christ taught himself out of the Old Testament. Just like it said that in the prophets, it was written of this same prophet that would be raised like unto Moses as a brethren. See, read 27 one more time, brother. Verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in the scriptures. The things concerning himself. Right, because Christ was prophesied out of the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. So you cannot use Deuteronomy 18 and 15 to say that that's Muhammad. Because that that's, that's a fallacy, brothers and sisters. That's disingenuous. And I understand why they would. You know, why they would try to use the Bible. First, on one hand, you'll say the Bible's contradicting itself, but then you'll use it to bring your points. See, a Muslim will go into the Bible with you all day long as long as they can give you their interpretation on it. See? And as soon as you take them to Exodus 20, where it says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to a rock, then the whole Bible's tampered with. See? This is how they do. And, you know, I, we must be clear. If you don't believe in the Bible, don't go into it at all. Don't try to use a Bible that you're claiming is contradiction, contradicting to make your points. Because if it is, then how do we know the points that you're trying to make isn't a contradiction? See? And this is this is how Muslims have come, brothers and sisters. We've dealt with we've dealt with Muslims in the past, and they 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 try to come to, of course, people of color majority, and bring these bring these scriptures in order to pull them over to to Islam. 
which we know is is Satan's religion, is one of Satan's religions. In fact, it's a branch of Catholicism. It's a branch of Catholicism. It's a fraction of the of the Catholic Church, brothers and sisters. We're going to show you why they would try to prove Muhammad out of the scriptures. We're going to Genesis 21 to show you. This is why, brothers and sisters, because it was history with Ishmael. Who's Ishmael? Ishmael is the son of Abraham, the big brother of Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob, right? And Jacob was chosen. Isaac was chosen. Jacob was chosen, his 12 children. So the Ishmaelites, who are the Arabs, they have a problem with that, brothers and sisters. And we're going to show you why. Now, when we go to Genesis 21, we've got to give you a little context. There was a time where Sarah was barren and she could not have a child. Therefore, she being, you know, being righteous, she gave up her handmaid, Hagar, to have a child For Abraham, she said, you know what, Abraham, I've tried to conceive for so long, you know, to give you a child. Because she said, why? She said, Abraham is such a righteous man. He deserves to have a seed. So she took it upon herself. The Most High did not tell Sarah to do this. Sarah was led by emotion. She was led by emotion to give Abraham a hand, her handmaid. Right. She she gave him her handmaid to have a child. Just imagine how that hurt Sarah. Just imagine how how pious she was and how she tried to do the right thing for her husband, brothers and sisters. She didn't need to do this. If she would have waited, however, she would allow the Most High to have time to bring forth the child. But because she was emotional at that time, she, she looked at her handmaids and she chose the one that she believed she could trust most. Because why? If you're going to have... A woman have, um, you know, your husband's child. There's a certain woman that you're not going to choose because why? That woman may start to overstep her boundaries. So women understand, you know, if this was something that needed to be done, there's a certain there's a certain personality, a certain character traits you would look for. You wouldn't just choose any woman. So she chose Hagar. Now we're going to go into Genesis 21 to show you why the Ishmaelites or the Arabs, <coughs> excuse me, why the Arabs would try to show Muhammad out of the scriptures. We're going to read Genesis 21. We're going to read 1 through 10. Genesis 21 verse 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age. At the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him. Whom Sarah bare to him Isaac. Right. So now Isaac is being born. Now, I, this is 13 years after Hagar have had a child named Ishmael. Continue, brother. Verse 4. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. It, it is Israelite law, brothers and sisters, that uh, during this time that a, a male child would be circumcised on the eighth day. Continue, brother. Verse 5. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said... God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given ch- children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And this child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. 
Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bond woman and her son, for the son of this woman shall not be, be heir with my son, even with Isaac. So she came to her husband Abraham and said, You need to put out, put out Hagar and her son Ishmael. Because why? She understood that the Most High made a promise to Abraham that through his loins there will be an heir to the world. And why? You couldn't have a child. An heir couldn't be to a bond woman. So the, the heir couldn't be to a woman who was in bond. Sarah wasn't in bond. Hagar was, brothers and sisters. Read verse 10 again, brother. Verse 10. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bond woman and her son, for the son of this woman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Continue, brother. <clears throat> verse 11. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bond woman. And all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice. For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Right, see? <clears throat> Isaac thy seed shall be called. So, brothers and sisters, here we go again. The woman, right, have been talking to the Most High God and she's leading her husband to do the right thing. Why? Because she understands that Ishmael would have a hatred for his little brother. And would look to hurt him and kill him in order to be the heir. The same way, the same way Esau would would do further down the line with his brother Jacob. See, so on both sides, you have the Ishmaelites and you have the Edomites who are right now controlling all government. They're they're perpetrating false flags against our people. You have the Arabs on one side and you have the Edomites on the other side, both playing, playing both sides of the fence, mm -hmm. brothers and sisters. They're playing both sides of the fence because why? Because they both have an issue with the children of Israel. So what? The Edomites would set up a religion named Catholicism, right? Judaism. And then the Ishmaelites would set up a religion named, you know, Islam or to, to be a Muslim. And this is all aimed towards their little brother. Continue, brother. Verse 13. And also of the son of the bond woman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. Right. So he said even out of the bond woman... I will make a nation because he's the child of Abraham. Continue, brother. Verse 14. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Right. See, so Abraham put Hagar out, not disrespectfully, but, you know, he had to do what the Most High said. So he, he, he sent her on and her child on, you know, on her way. And this is the reason why Islam or the Muslims or the Arabs, the Ishmaelites, the sons of Ishmael, have a problem with the Bible. This is why they have a problem with the children of Israel, because they feel like, listen, I was the firstborn. I should have the promise. But what? The Most High God had a plan, brothers and sisters. He had a plan the same way with Esau being the elder. He is going to serve his younger brother. So the Most High had a plan, brothers and sisters. And this is the reason why somebody would try to use Muhammad out of scripture. This is why they have such a hatred for the so-called children of Israel. This is why. This is why they would establish religions in order to send, you know, in order, you know, to make money off of us. How are they making money off of us? You're buying kufis, you're buying prayer rugs, right? See? They did this on purpose because they know history. Now, if our people knew they were the children of Israel, then they could have some some historical knowledge. Because why? History, 
repeats itself. The Bible tells you in Ecclesiastes 1 and 9 that there's no new thing under the sun. So they remember what happened in Genesis. They remember what happened with their father Ishmael and therefore they have looked to deceive us. We're going to move on to the next question, brother. Question number four or number three, sorry. Is speaking in tongues biblical? Speaking in tongues. Um, speaking in tongues is biblical. It's not biblical in the way that the Christian church is doing it, though. So we're gonna we'll go into a couple of scriptures to show you um, what is what is biblical speaking in tongues. What does it mean? How is it done? What are the rules? Are there rules concerning speaking in tongues? Because I grew up in a Christian church and. You know, I would see people speaking in unknown tongues, uh, running around, falling all over the floor, especially when you are down south or coming from some of these Baptist churches. They'll be speaking in a trance where if you saw somebody, if you were walking down the street with your children and you saw somebody doing that. Right. You would say, listen, let's cross the street. That person's crazy. But somehow through Christianity, you'll look right at that and not see a problem with it. But if you were on the streets then it would be an issue. And we're going to show you what is the biblical understanding of speaking in tongues. We're going to go to Genesis 11 and 1. Go on to Genesis 11 and 1, brothers and sisters. Genesis 11, verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Right, one language and one speech, brothers and sisters. What you're going to find out is that tongue, when it speaks of tongue in the Bible, it's actually a language. It's not something that can't be understood. It's actually a language in the earth, brothers and sisters. We're going to Genesis 10. We're going to read verse 1. Genesis 10 and 1. Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were sons born after the flood. Right. Jump to verse 5, brother. Verse 5. By these were the, were the isles of Gentiles divided in their lands, every one after his tongue. After his what? Tongue. After their families and their nations. To prove to you that the tongue in scriptures is actually a language, brothers and sisters. See? So Christians, I think they have a skewed vision. And I'm not saying they're doing it on purpose. I would never question a Christian's purpose. I don't believe that they're doing this on purpose. This is just what they're taught. This is just what they're taught, brothers and sisters. So, you know, we're not looking to blame them. What we are looking to do is just promote the truth. That's all. So we needed to show you first that tongues is language in the Bible. It's another word for language. Now, there's rules that go with that particular gift. If the Most High give you that gift, there's rules in regards to utilizing that gift. And we're going to show you. We're going to 1 Corinthians 14. We've got to show you the rules, brothers and sisters. Now that you know that tongues is a language, let us give you the edification. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. So if you're speaking in an unknown tongue, you're not speaking to men. You're speaking to the Most High God. Continue, brother. Verse 3. But he that prophesied Speaking that unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. Continue. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. Right. See, so the greatest gift, brothers and sisters, and the reason I'm bringing this up because I had a sister tell me that 
the her Christian church many years ago told her that if she didn't speak in tongues, she didn't have the Holy Spirit. And that that was the greatest gift. When actually the Bible says that prophesying is the greatest gift. Being able to go into the Bible and show your brothers and sisters, your loved ones, you know, what the scriptures is saying is actually the greatest gift. Uh, read verse 3, brother, again. Verse 3. But he that prophesied speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesied edified the church. Now, why is it saying he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself? Because it's about you. You you know, you don't know what you're saying. Because why? You'll ask a Christian after they fall out in this conniption. You'll say, what did you say? And they'll tell you, well, I don't know. Well, if you don't know, why are you saying it? That's what the Most High is saying. If you're speaking in an unknown tongue, you're edifying yourself. That means you just want to be praised. Because why? In a Christian church, I know because I grew up there. You'll have one person bust out saying a bunch of stuff and they'll get all the attention. And then next week you'll have somebody else say, you know what? I want that attention. Then they'll bust out and start speaking in unknown tongues. See? And it's really not about giving anybody information. It's really about themselves. So that's not the most high would rather you break down something or speak and give a brother or sister some edification. Therefore, they can become closer to God. If I can't understand what you're saying, there's no way that I can you know, become closer to God. It's not for edification purposes. It's for you to seem like you're deep. And that's not of the most high God. Continue, brother. Verse five. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesied than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret. Interpret what? He, except- in, he interpret that the church may receive edifying. See, so there's rules, brothers and sisters. If you are speaking in an unknown tongue, it must be interpreted. It must be interpreted. So why? So the church may receive edification. So what, what, what tongues is in the Bible is actually a language that's in the earth, brothers and sisters. Now, if Brother Corey starts speaking in an unknown tongue and we're in a church setting, somebody would be able to say, hold on. He's speaking Greek. I know some Greek up in here. And then he would interpret what Brother Corey is saying. Why? Because it's important. Listen, if the Most High is speaking through you, then it's probably important. He could be saying that building's going to fall down in three hours. Don't you think that would be important? Now, if we can't understand you, then how is that edify? So there's there's rules, brothers and sisters. If you're going to speak in tongues, there must be an interpreter. And you can't interpret it. You can't speak in tongues and then interpret. Why? Because if you can understand what, what's being said, then why don't you just say it in a tongue that everybody else understands? There will be no need for you to speak it in another language. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 5. I would that ye all speak with tongues, but rather that ye prophesy. For greater is he that prophesied than he that speak with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. See, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the church receiving edification. Everything you do, you do unto edification for the church, for the body, brothers and sisters. Continue. Verse 6. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. Right. So if I come to you speaking in an unknown tongue, how does that help you? What I should do is come to you either by revelation, by knowledge, prophecy, or doctrine. Therefore, you get understanding. Not me just sitting up in a, you know, in a room speaking in a foreign tongue. 
And, and see, the thing about it is you look crazy to children. Children to see mommy walking down the aisle at the grocery store and then she just busts out like, oh, see, and then he's, you know, the child is confused. Continue, brother. Verse seven. And and even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sound. How shall it be known what is pipe or harp? Right. So every sound or instrument give a distinct sound. Now, if you're speaking something unknown, then how is it distinct? We don't know what you're saying. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 7. And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in sounds, how shall it be known what is pipe or harp? Continue. Verse 8. For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? Right. The trumpet... We know the children of Israel blew the trumpet for a few things to to let brothers and sisters know that it's wartime, to let them know a holy day was coming up, to let them know that it was a gathering coming up. But if the trumpet don't make a trumpet sound and it make a flute sound, then who would who would prepare? See, so it's importance in sound in speech. Every voice is important as long as there's edification, brothers and sisters. Continue. Verse nine. So likewise you, except ye utter by the tongue's words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. Right. So brothers and sisters, you should speak things that are easy to be understood. Therefore, brothers and sisters can get understanding. You shouldn't try to speak things that's too hard for people. Either either if you're speaking in the same language as them or speaking as something unknown because it's for no reason. You're speaking into the air. Nobody's listening. Nobody understands. Continue, brother. Verse 10. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them are without signification. Read that again, brother. Verse 10. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them are without signification. Right. So each and every voice of each and every person is significant to the Most High God. But if you're speaking something that's unknown... You become insignificant. Why? Because you're not edifying. You're not edifying, brothers and sisters. So the Most High is saying that if if you're speaking something that's unknown, you must have an interpretation. And you cannot be that interpretation. You cannot be that interpretation, brothers and sisters. The interpretation must be somebody else. Because why? If you can interpret what you're saying, just say it in a language where everybody else can hear it. In the church, when somebody started speaking a different language, you would have another brother or sister in the church translating whatever they're saying. Continue, brother. Verse 11. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian. And he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Right. So if I can't understand what a brother or sister is saying or vice versa, I become a barbarian. Why? Because I can't understand. You're just making noise. I'm looking at you, you're looking at me, and we're just both making a bunch of noise, and there's no understanding. That makes you a barbarian, brothers and sisters. Continue. Verse 12. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Right. Edifying of the church. The spiritual gifts you have, whatever spiritual gift you may have after baptism, use it to edify the church, not to make yourself look deep, brothers and sisters. Continue. Verse 13, wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may may interpret. Continue. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, 
but my understanding is unfruitful. That's crystal clear, brothers and sisters. Continue. Verse 15. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit and will pray with understanding also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with understanding also. Else, when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupied the room of the unlearned say amen at the giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? Right. Continue, brother. Verse 17. For thou verily giveth thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than you all. Right. So so Paul had that gift. He's saying, listen, I Paul could speak tongues of angels, tongues of... He had that gift to pick up languages. He can go into an area and start understanding the language almost immediately, brothers and sisters. This is what he's saying. Continue. Verse, verse 19. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding. That my voice I might teach others also. That 10,000 words is in an unknown tongue. Right, brothers and sisters. So what he's saying is, I would rather speak five words that brothers and sisters can understand than a thousand words of, you know, in an unknown tongue. And that's not just you speaking in a language that can't be understood. If you're trying to make things, you know, seem harder to understand, to make you seem smarter, then that's not of the most high God. Because see why? You can't do the right thing for the wrong reason. The intent's not right. See, because you'll have people that do that too. They'll try to make things so hard to understand that it makes them seem smarter than everybody else in the room. Read that again, brother. Verse 19. Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding that my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. All right, continue. Verse 20. Brethren, be not children in understanding. How be it in malice be ye children. But in understanding, be men. Right. Jump to verse 28, brother. Verse 28. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. Actually, read verse 27, brother. Verse 27. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. And let him speak to himself and to God. Right. That's crystal clear. That's crystal clear, brothers and sisters. If somebody's speaking in an unknown tongue and there's no interpreter there, then he must be in silence. We must have we have to walk this brother or this sister out of the church and say, listen, you go home with that. OK, because why? If somebody walks in here and see, you know, a hundred people speaking in these unknown tongues, they're going to think you're crazy and then probably never going to return again. See? Jump to verse 33, brother. We're going to end it there. Verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. The Most High God is not the author of confusion, brothers and sisters. Okay? So that's confusion. If you don't understand what you're saying and nobody else understands what you're saying, there's no reason to say it, brothers and sisters. So I hope that we, um, I hope we made that crystal clear. You know, there is a gift of speaking in tongues, but there's rules and regulations in regards to speaking something that somebody don't know. And if somebody, you know, in the congregation or in the gathering, a body cannot interpret it, then you ought to go home with that. Because why? You're not speaking to men. You're speaking to the most high God. Now, what's the next question, brother? Question number four is, can women be teachers? Women can be teachers. Women can definitely be teachers. Uh, they cannot be teachers in a church setting. For example, they cannot be over a church. 
They can deal with, you know, women are the best teachers. Let's put that out there. Women are actually the best teachers because why? They're patient, they're understanding, they're compassionate, right? So they can definitely teach, but they cannot be an authority over a church. So a woman cannot be a pastor, brothers and sisters, okay? I know it's a bunch of, you know, women pastors out there in the Christian church. And every time I've ever listened to them, I never got any understanding. I never, they never broke down prophecy. They never broke down history. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 14 and 34. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 34. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Right, so how can a woman be teaching an authority over a church when the Bible says a woman are to keep silence in the churches? See? So now Sunday school, teaching the kids and, and that kind of thing, definitely. Definitely. There's no law against that, brothers and sisters. But a woman cannot be the pastor of a church. Why? Because she cannot exercise her authority over a man. Because why? If she's the pastor, then her husband's the assistant pastor. And that's nowhere in Scripture. Now, if you want me to follow your church, sister, you step down. You let your husband step up. And you come to your congregation and say, I've had a revelation. The Most High God told me that I need to support my husband. And he's going to be the pastor going forward. See, now I can follow you because why? You're dealing with the Bible now. See, and I grew up in a family full of, you know, women who were calling themselves pastors. So I've, I've been through this, brothers and sisters, but the Bible does not permit it. Read 34 again, brother. Verse 34. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience. As also said the law, and if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for, for women to speak in the church. So how can a woman be a pastor then, brothers and sisters? See, how can a woman be a pastor? So if a, during when we were a people in the temple, the women sat at the higher courts um, together and the men were down at the bottom. And if a woman didn't have understanding they would wait till they got home to ask the man in their life. If they didn't have a husband, they would ask their father or their brother or that man that was in their life. Because why? Usually, when you're dealing, even when we're dealing in church settings, usually the one that's trying to bring the confusion is the sister. And that's no offense to sisters, but a lot of times they're dealing in emotion. So they'll try to spark up, you know, confusion throughout the whole congregation. So the Most High was perfect when he said that women should be in silence. He's not saying that, you know, a woman is, shouldn't be respected or anything like that because we just read him say he told Abraham to listen to Sarah. So it's not that she shouldn't be respected or listened to, but in a church setting, she should be quiet. When she gets home or when she leaves, she can ask anything that she want to ask, brothers and sisters. So we needed to put that out there. So if you see a woman pastor out there, I wouldn't suggest you going to tell her that she shouldn't be in that position. But I would probably suggest you not... You know, you're not under that flock because that flock or that pastor is not following the Bible, brothers and sisters. Let's go to first Timothy two and eleven. Further proof, just a buffer. I know that was crystal clear, but just a buffer that point. Because I know some women will use Joel to say, you know, all flesh, all the Holy Spirit will be uh, poured out on all flesh. Yes, yeah, prophetess. And that's true. But that was that happened in Acts. That happened in Acts, brothers and sisters. You can't use that. To say a woman can be a pastor now. Uh, read verse 11 through 14, brother. 
1 Timothy 2 and 11. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Right. See? So this is the Bible, brothers and sisters. And this is the New Testament for you Christians. For you Christians, this is in the New Testament. Let a woman learn in silence with all subjection. I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over a man, but to be in silence. See, because if she's the head of the church, then that means men are under her. And that's not the order of the most high God. We know that. Continue, brother. Verse 13. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. See, so Eve was actually deceived first. She was the one that was in transgression. Now, are we saying that, you know, are we looking to blame all women for the sin of Eve? Absolutely not. Eve was an innocent party. She was deceived. The scripture tell you that. She didn't purposely do the wrong thing. She was actually deceived. So she's not, you know, we're not looking to blame sisters. But what we are saying is we must stay in order because if we don't, there's a possibility that the family will be destroyed again. So brothers and sisters, I hope, you know, I hope that question, I hope we answered that question. Um, you know, like we said, women can teach, but just not an authority over a church, unfortunately. All right. Uh, what's the next one, brother? Question number five is, why isn't Dan mentioned in Revelation? Dan, uh, the tribe of Dan. Well, I, I would believe that you're talking about the 144,000, where it talks about uh, 12,000 from each tribe who will be the ruling government. Some people think that that 144,000 are the only people that's going to make it into the kingdom, when it's actually not. That 144,000 would be the authority, the ruling governor set up under Christ. Now, there was a reason why Dan was not mentioned there, and we'll, we'll, we'll touch on it. Let's go to Genesis 49, brother. Those who have some history understand that Dan, a little bit before the time of Christ, Dan started to make himself a priest in the land of Samaria in the northern kingdom and started to lead our people into worshiping Moloch. Now, we know that who were the priests? The priests were Levi. So Dan was not allocated the position of priest, but yet he made a, he, you know, he made a pact with the Edomites or the Idumeans in order to lead our people astray for money. We're going to read verse one and two, brother. Genesis 49 and one. And Jacob called unto his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Right. So Jacob called his 12 children together and said, I want to tell you. What will befall you in the last days? What, you know, what will take you down? What will be your struggle in the last days? Verse 2. Gather yourselves together and hear ye sons of Jacob and hearken unto Israel your father. See, Jacob and Israel are the same person. It, Israel or Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel means to be a prince of God. Let's jump to verse 11. Uh, let's actually jump to verse 16, brother. Verse 16. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. As one of the tribes of Israel. See? So he would have his responsibility as a tribe taken away from him. That's why it says Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Because he's no longer viewed as a tribe. Levi fell from priest and took their, you know, took Dan's uh, tribal allocation. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 16. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path, 
that biteth the horse's heels, so that his rider shall fall backward. When it says serpent, that serpent leads directly to Satan. It says an adder in the path that biteth. An adder is a poisonous snake, brothers and sisters. And it says, read that one more time, brother. Verse 17. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse's heels, so that the rider shall fall backward. Right. So Dan would usurp authority and take a position that the Most High did not allocate to him. And he would set up uh, temples in the land of Samaria to Moloch. And he coerced our people to to follow fallen gods. So that's why he's not mentioned as 144,000. We know who, who was from Dan. Dan was, Samson was from Dan, brothers and sisters. But he made a pact with the Edomites, the Idumeans, to take down his brothers. So for that reason, he's not mentioned in Revelation as having authority. And he will not have authority. Let's move on to the next question, brother. The next question is, was Paul a Roman? Well, Paul, well, being a Roman is not a nationality. So, no, he wasn't a Roman, brothers and sisters. Paul was, he was an Israelite. Now, that's, that's a, that question is kind of, it's funny because you cannot be a Roman by blood, brothers and sisters. That's not a nationality. That's like saying somebody's an American. Uh, as a nationality, you can't be an American. There can you can be a, nat- a different nationality, many different nationalities living in Rome or living in America. Let's prove it to you that he for sure was not. He was not Roman, and maybe the question is, was he European? I, I think maybe that's what the question kind of was leading to. No, he was not European. We'll go to Romans, and we'll go to Romans eleven to prove you that he was not. Brother Corey, please read Romans 11 and 1. Romans 11, verse 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Of the tribe of what? Benjamin. Benjamin, brothers and sisters. This is Paul speaking here. Who is Benjamin? Benjamin are those from the West Indies. So no, Paul was not a Roman or he was not an Edomite or a, a European. I think the question is being asked, was he white? And no, he was not white by any by any stretch. He was not white. Not that we have a problem with white people because we love white people. We love all people. We have Gentiles. We have white people within our body. But, you know, the the reality of the, the situation is he wasn't European. Read it again, brother. Verse one. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Right. So that's crystal clear. You cannot be an Edomite and then be from the tribe of Benjamin. Further proof. Let's go to Acts 21. Because Paul was mistaken for another nation. And it wasn't anybody that looked Caucasian. We're going to prove it to you. We're going to Acts 21 and 37 through 39. Acts 21 and 37. And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Art not thou that Egyptian which before these days made an uproar? Right. So the chief is saying, can't you speak Greek? Because remember, Paul just said when we were speaking about tongues that he speak many tongues. So for this is further proof. Paul had that gift. He can go into a land and pick up the language like that. Uh, Read 38 again, brother. Verse 38. 
Art not thou that Egyptian which before these days made an uproar and led it out into the wilderness four thousand men that were murderers? Right. So he. So right here he's being mistaken for an Egyptian. Why? Because Egyptians are black, brothers and sisters. Right. They just had the straight hair and they didn't really have facial hair like Paul. So right here is it's crystal clear. That he's being mistaken for an Egyptian. And that's further proof of why the Most High told us to flee into Egypt and hide. That's why Moses went into Egypt to hide. Because to some degree, you know, other nations couldn't tell us apart. To some degree. Continue, brother. Verse 39. But Paul said, I am a man which which am a Jew of Tarsus. Read that again. But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus. Now, why is he saying he's a Jew when he just said he was a Benjamite? Because Benjamin, Judah, and Levi were also known as Jews. Because why? They lived in Judea. So sometimes Jews are referred to as Judea, or excuse me, sometimes Judeans, those who lived in Judea, the southern kingdom, which is Benjamin, Judah, and Levi, are all referred to as Jews. Read that again, brother. 39. But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. Crystal clear, brothers and sisters. Paul was a black man. He was a Benjamite. He was a Jew. He was an Israelite. He was not an Edomite, brothers and sisters. None of the disciples were, I mean, excuse me, none of the disciples were Gentiles. The, the 12 were all Israelites without any shadow of a doubt. Um, and, and some people try to say, no, Timothy was, a, was an Edomite. Timothy was not an Edomite. Timothy was an Israelite. He was a Hellenist. Which means he he was a Greek speaking Jew, so at no point did any Gentile, Edomite, Hamite, anybody have authority of the doctrine of Christ other than the children of Israel. Nowadays, you know, I see I see Korean churches, I see Korean people teaching the Bible. <laughs> it's funny because our people have been destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Now we have other people teaching our history when it's our responsibility, brothers and sisters. It's our responsibility to teach other nations. They have now picked up our record and butchered the whole record. They butchered the whole record, brothers and sisters. So the children of Israel, now that we have waken up, it's time to start taking our acrimony, you know, our, our scholarship, our vocation seriously, and start studying our books. Therefore, when the time, when the Most High catapults you to be a teacher, which He may, it, it, He very well may, that you'll be able to shed the excuse me, share the light. To Jews and Gentiles alike. Uh, what's the next question, brother? The next question is: Was the fruit Adam had sex? Uh, no, the fruit was not sex. Um, anybody who sang that is dealing. I don't know. Let's go to Genesis three and six, brother. How could the fruit be sex? That doesn't make any sense, brothers and sisters. How could the how could the fruit be sex? Let's go to Genesis 3 and let's read 4 through 6, brother. Genesis 3, verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doeth, for God doeth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Read 6 again, brother. Verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Good for what? 
food. The tree was good for food. This could not be sex, brothers and sisters. Now, I understand that people are saying, you know, fruit and be fruitful is having kids. But no, no. Anybody that's anybody that's using this scripture like that is uh, dealing in pure speculation. And you don't need to take heed to them. You need to shun them, brothers and sisters, because this that will lead to a whole nother. That'll lead to a whole nother doctrine. And I've actually had people say that uh, the serpent actually had intercourse with Eve. Like, just read what's there. This was food. It wasn't an apple. That I do know. I've had people ask us, well, was it an apple? What kind of fruit was it? It doesn't tell you exactly what kind of fruit it was, brothers and sisters, but it was food. Read verse six again, brother. Verse six. And when, and the, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. So it's crystal clear, brothers and sisters, this is food. This is not, um, this is nothing other than food, brothers and sisters. What's the next question, brother? The next question is, are people created homosexual? Are people created homosexual? The answer, let's go to James, brother. Now, I'm guessing that a person would ask this question because maybe they have a loved one that may be dealing in this particular uh, this particular transgression. We're going to James 1 and 13. James 1 and 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted, tempted he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. And enticed. So the Most High does not create homosexuals. That's that's a fallacy. And somebody would try to you you know misrepresent the Word of God by saying that. And I've heard it actually. I've heard homosexuals say or sodomites say, "Well, I'm just being who God created me to be." No, you've been confused. You're confused. You have a reprobate mind where you actually think now because you've been taken in that lust that that's how God made you. The Most High God don't tempt. Read that again, brother. Verse 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Continue. Verse 15, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's crystal clear, brothers and sisters. The Most High did not make anybody homosexual or a sodomite. He didn't, or a lesbian. That's what, that lust drew you away, your own lust of your own heart. And once that lust is finished, it brings forth death. So that's crystal clear. Anybody saying that, understand you're dealing with a reprobate. What's the next question, brother? The next question is, is the Antichrist Donald Trump? Is the Antichrist Donald Trump? No, it's not Donald Trump. Well, it, uh, let's go to 1 John 2 and 18. Because, <laughs> you know... Before I started studying the Bible, I was doing the same things. I was saying, well, is this the Antichrist? Is that the Antichrist? Is he the Antichrist? Is she the Antichrist? But understand, brothers and sisters, there is many Antichrists. Anybody who's against Christ is Antichrist. So anybody, even Israelites, who reject baptism, who reject Christ, who reject the Bible, they're Antichrist. So let's prove it. First John 2 and 18, and 18. Let children, it is the t- last time. And as ye have heard that the Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists. Read that again. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it's the last time. So 
in a sense, he is the Antichrist. He is a Antichrist, not the Antichrist, because why? Anybody who sits in that seat of president is Antichrist. So it's not just Donald Trump. It's all of those who came before him, including Barack Obama, including the Bushes, including the Clintons. They're all Antichrist, brothers and sisters. You cannot sit on that seat unless you're Antichrist. Read that one more time, brother. Verse 18. Verse 18. Little children, it is the last time. And ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. That, so I hope that answers the question, brothers and sisters. He, he is a Antichrist, but he is not the Antichrist, brothers and sisters. There's many Antichrists. In this, in this scripture, it's saying that even now, so even back then there were many Antichrists, brothers and sisters. Uh, what's the next question, brother? Is having multiple wives okay? Um, there's things in scripture, brothers and sisters, that we did um, in our culture that was not right. Um, and we're going to just keep it clear because we can go into a whole lesson on this. And we actually have gone into a lesson on this and maybe we'll we'll upload that someday. But um, people will try to use Abraham and Sarah uh, to say, you know, Abraham had more than one wife. The only problem with that is that Abraham didn't choose Hagar. His wife, Sarah, chose the woman. So you, you can't use that scripture. He didn't go out and say, you know what? Uh, you know, I, I, I like how Hagar look. I just need another woman. No, that's not what happened. Sarah, his wife, wanted him to have a child because he was so righteous of a man. She knew that this man deserved to have a seed. So she put down her pride and gave her, gave him, you know, her handmaid. So you can't use that scripture. And then people will also go to Jacob. But Jacob was tricked. He was tricked into marrying the wrong woman with Rachel and Leah. So you can't use that either, brothers and sisters. We'll show you what the scriptures say. First Timothy three. The reason we got to, you know, go to this is because sisters, this will cause sisters to not want to come to the truth. If they think that them coming to the truth will lead their husband to think that they can have many wives, they're not going to come to the truth, brothers and sisters. So if, you know, if, if a man can have many wives, then a sister will then say, well, you know what? I'm going to have many husbands. And all of that is filthiness. And that's fornication. Where do fornication come in if you can have 25 different wives? You might as well be a Mormon with Joseph Smith and his 12 wives. Uh, read First Timothy 3 and 1, brother, through 2. <clears throat> First Timothy 3, verse 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of bishop, he desireth a good work. So if a man desire to work within the order of the Most High, that means being an apostle, being a, a deacon, being an elder, being a teacher, anything regarding the work of Christ. Continue. Verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife. Read that again. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to, te to teach. So if any brother wants to have a position in Christ's work, he must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, and apt to teach. So he must be ready to teach. So anybody who's saying that, you know, trying to use scripture to say they can have all these different wives, understand you're not going to be doing the work because that is not Christ. Christ. None of the disciples had three and four wives, brothers and sisters. So, you know, 
Of course, there was times in history, in the Bible, when it did happen. But you can't use those specific circumstances to now say, you can do it. Because why? If you're already married to a woman, how did you get married to another woman without being in sin? It's impossible. It's impossible for you to, to, you know, if you're married to one woman, to have another woman and not have sin to get that woman. So, brothers and sisters, no. It's not okay. It's not okay according to the Bible, especially if you're looking to do the work of Christ. Because why? That had nothing to do with Christ. In fact, that will have people not come to you, especially when you're dealing with older, you know, some of our older brethren, some of our older sisters. You're trying to teach, a, a, you know, some a sister that may be over 50 that's, you know, you're trying to teach her the Bible, but yet you got four wives. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen, brothers and sisters. So, no, it's not okay. Uh, what's the next question, brother? What does the seven heads and ten horns mean? Uh, the seven heads and ten horns is in... is um, The seven heads and ten horns is in regards to Rome and the powers that came out of Rome. Uh, we're going to go to Revelations 12 to, to show you that. We're going to read 1 through 6. Because I know this is a big question uh, for Christians out there. Because a lot of times the pastors don't go into Revelation. So we want to show you what it means. Revelation 12 and 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And upon her head a crown of 12 stars. That woman is represents the children of Israel. Those 12 stars represent the children of Israel. Remember the Most High calls Israel his woman. Continue. Verse 2, and she being with child cried, travailing in birth, in pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, a great, uh, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his head. Right, so this is talking about, when it says, it, it says, read that one more time, brother. Verse 3, and there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, Having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. Right. So it says a great red dragon, which had seven heads and ten horns. That seven heads is identifying a location. We're going to prove to you what location it is by going to Revelation 17 and 9. And then we'll we'll go back to it. Revelation 17 verse 9. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains. And what's the woman city? The seven heads are seven mountains. There's only one. There's only one place in the world, in past time and today, that sits on seven mountains, and that's Rome, brothers and sisters. So, let's go back. Let's go back to Revelation 12. So, with this scripture, it, when it when it speaks of the seven heads and the ten horns, it's speaking of Rome and the ten countries that were uh, taken down by Rome, the original European Union. Or United Nations, brothers and sisters. And when it says seven crowns, it's it's saying rulership. These were these um, countries have rulership. So when you you know when you want to look at who the actual ten horns are, you would need to look up who the original ten countries um, that were uh, conquered by Rome. Because why? They all Rome is now utilizing those ten countries to perpetuate and to push their ideologies. They're all eagles. They all have the eagle symbols, brothers and sisters. So when you go into Revelation 12, it says um, the dragon had seven heads and ten horns. That seven heads is, t- is, is, uh, is, is talking about Rome. 
and the ten horns are the powers that came out of Rome, brothers and sisters. So all you would need to do is to go and look up the ten countries, the original ten, because it's much more than ten now, but the original ten that were taken down by the Edom, uh, by the Roman Edomites or Idumeans. So that's who, that's who, that's what it's speaking of when it says seven heads and ten horns, brothers and sisters. Um, what's the next question, brother? Um, can we cook on the Sabbath? Can we cook on the Sabbath, brothers and sisters? That's a great question. Um, one thing you must realize is that cooking, um, when we were a people, it took work. So you, in fact, let's go to Exodus 35 to give a little insight on why people are saying this. Because I understand when you first come into the truth, you believe that, you know, you can't do anything. You're actually in bondage to the law and you're not supposed to be in bondage to the law. That's not why the law was made. The law was made for you and not the other way around, brothers and sisters. But we want to just give you, we want to give you a little insight onto what the thought process of, you know, what the thought process behind these laws were. Uh, read 35 and 3, brother. Exodus 35 and 3. Ye, ye shall kindle no fire throughout your habitation upon the Sabbath day. Right. Now, kindling a fire, it, in order for you to have a fire, you would need to go chop down some wood. Number one, you would need to go find the wood, then chop it down. Then you would need to start the fire, brothers and sisters. Okay. So it actually took work. It wasn't you going to put something in the microwave. Or turn on the stove, brothers and sisters. So you must understand your liberty. You must understand the liberty because it was different back then. Now, am I saying you should just go have a feast and start cooking for three and four hours? I, I wouldn't suggest it. I would suggest, you know, you can eat something, you know, or cook something that don't take much work. A cold cut, maybe, you know, uh, some cereal, something, you know, even if it, it takes a little bit more. But I wouldn't suggest, you know... Doing something that's going to take you two and three hours on the Sabbath because you could have did that before the sun went down, um, you know, on the day before. But we do want to show you that the Bible did allow for you to cook on the Sabbath in certain instances. We're going to go to Exodus 12 and 16. Exodus 12 and 16. Now. Read that, brother. Uh, excuse me. Verse 16. <clears throat> Exodus 12. And 16. This is in regards to the Passover, brothers and sisters. And then the first day, there shall be an holy convocation. And then the seventh day, there shall be an holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them. Read that again. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. Right. So the only work that should have been done was so people could eat. So, brothers and sisters, you must understand your liberty. You must understand your grace. We're not living, you know, in the times where, you know, having a fire, <laughs> having a fire is going to take work. I had a brother ask me, um, I think a few weeks ago, he said, can you, can you, can you, uh, can you flick a lighter on the Sabbath? And I'm like, brother, <laughs> I understand what you're saying because people want to please God, but, you know, don't be over-righteous, Okay. Don't be over-righteous. Because why? If you are looking to do some work for the most high or to study and you're hungry and it's going to prevent you from studying or going out doing some work on the streets for your brothers and sisters, then you need to do what you need to do in order to do the work. Because some people can't work, you know, can't study when they're hungry. You know, some people can't. So read that one more time, brother. 
verse 16. And in the first day there shall, <clears throat> there shall be an holy convocation. And in the seventh day there shall be an holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them. Save that which every man must eat. That only may be done of you. Right. So we, we went here because Passover is a Sabbath also, brothers and sisters. And the Most High is saying the only work you could do is what, you know, is what brothers and sisters are going to eat. So I would suggest that, you know, personally, you don't do anything extra, you know, anything, you know, significant. But it's okay to warm up something. It's okay to have some noodles. It's okay to put something in the stove for a few minutes. I wouldn't suggest, you know, doing anything that's going to take you a long amount of time. That could be considered as work. But understand your freedom, brothers and sisters. Now, I'm, I'm hoping that, well, I'm not hoping, but I believe this question is being asked because you have those probably young people who are trying to, you know, be lords over people and say, you can't, you can't warm up noodles. You can't have a sandwich on the side. And you got to be careful of those people dealing in that pharisaical spirit, brothers and sisters. And let us show you what we mean. Go to Galatians 2 and 4, brother. We're going to the New Testament, brothers and sisters. Be very careful when you have somebody telling you what you cannot and what you can and cannot do in regards to in your own home. Galatians 2 and 4. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out liberty. Who came in to do what? Spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ, that they might bring us into bondage. See, because you'll have... A lot of Israelites that are looking to bring you into bondage under the law. They, they come in, right? And really, they're just looking for what's wrong. See? So even if what they're saying is right, the intent can be wrong. See? So you got to be very careful of people like that, brothers and sisters. Because the Pharisees were like that. They're looking to tell everybody what they can and cannot do. Listen, if you feel like it's wrong for you, then it is wrong for you. But you don't have the right to tell somebody that they can't put, uh, you know... That they can't put something in the microwave or they can't sit something in the stove or on the stove or warm up some hot water for some tea. I had a sister ask me that. I can, you know, can we not have tea on the Sabbath since we can't boil water? And I'm like, sister, who told you that? Who told you that, sister? Read that again, brother. Verse four. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ. That they might bring us into bondage. You got to be very careful, brothers and sisters, because why? Everybody is not there for the same reason. A lot of times we think that everybody that come to a gathering or a body or is amongst you have the same intent as you. And they don't. That's just the that's just the fact of the matter. Some people are coming in to spy out liberty and to actually see what's wrong. Be aware of that, brothers and sisters. Everybody is not like how we you know how you are. Which is just loving, happy to be in the truth, want to just follow the Most High. Some people actually want to bring you into bondage under what they think you should be doing. Understand, they're dealing in a pharisaical spirit, brothers and sisters. They're dealing in a pharisaical spirit. Watch out for that kind of person. Watch out. What's the next question, brother? Do we have to call our husbands Lord? I, I believe that this this question is coming from a sister. Um, let's go to First Peter, brother, three and six, because I understand why somebody would say that. I understand why somebody would say that. Now, pay close attention, brothers and sisters, because 
some scriptures say that, you know, there's scriptures in the New Testament and some in the Old that will say that Abraham, or that Sarah called Abraham Lord. We're going to go to the scriptures that somebody who's saying you must do this or is under the belief, um, you know, where where they're getting the ideology from. And they're not completely wrong, but it's it's not, you know, that's not full information. So let's go to 1 Peter 3 and 6. 1 Peter 3 verse 6. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do dwell or do well and are not afraid with an amazement. Now, brothers and sisters, our personal opinion is you do not have to call your husband Lord. What this is referencing is being submissive to your husband, not calling him Lord. And we're going to show you why. Um, We're actually going to go into the history of the word Lord. And then you would understand that. I don't think that that's something you probably want to call your husband. So let's go to Genesis 14 and 13. Genesis 14, verse 13. And there came one that had escaped and told Abraham the Hebrew. Abraham the what? The Hebrew. Abraham the what? The Hebrew. Abraham the Hebrew, brothers and sisters. So now that we know Abraham was a Hebrew, we must go into the word, the Hebrew word for Lord. Because he wasn't, Sarah wasn't calling him Lord. So we need to go into the word Lord for you. We needed to show you that number one, Abraham was Hebrew. So we're going to go into the the word Lord to show you what it actually means. And some Christians, I hope this doesn't offend you because we're not bringing this out to offend you. But, you know, when a question is asked, we must do our due diligence to explain it in our, you know, explain it in the simplest form. And give you the history behind it. Because the word Lord is actually a pagan word, brothers and sisters. And now, you know, sometimes we'll say it because we're dealing with Christians who don't know this. But, you know, um, once you, you know, once you go into this history, then the choice is yours. We're going to tell you how we feel about it. Let's go to uh, Exodus 32 and 1 to show you that word Lord, brothers and sisters. We're going to read 1 through 5. Exodus 32 verse 1. Now this is when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and Moses was up on the mount receiving the law. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up, up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. Right, so of course this is the children of Israel. The Most High have delivered us from from Egypt, from the hand of Pharaoh. Moses have been gone for five minutes, and our people are already dealing with heresy. Because this is heresy right here, brothers and sisters. Bringing up something that would divide people from, you know, from the divide people from where they are, from the body that they are. Making two separate groups. Anything that will divide you into a sect, like Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, all of those, Nicolaitans, that's... That's heretical because why you're divided and you're really the same people. And the Bible says what? What you know? If it, it says that a nation divided cannot stand. So Aaron is telling them we need to make gods. We need to make gods. G O D S. Read that one more time, brother. Verse one. Uh, verse one. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount. The people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. 
For as for this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off that golden, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. After he had made it a molten calf. Made it a what? A molten calf. So now he have taken the gold. Aaron have now taken the gold from the earrings and made a molten calf, brothers and sisters. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. These be thy gods to prove to you that it was more than one molten calf, brothers and sisters. One was Yahweh, the other was Jehovah. We're going to prove it to you. Continue. Verse 5. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Tomorrow is what? A feast to the Lord. So he built an altar before these these molten calves and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. So we understand that this Lord is not the most high. He he just made two molten calves. So we're going to go to that word Lord. And see what the word Lord is in the Hebrew, brothers and sisters. We're going into the Hebrew. We're going to Exodus 32 and 5. To show you what is the Hebrew word for that. For Lord. Exodus 32 and 5. It says H3068. And that word is. What does it say, brother? It says transliteration. Yehovah. So Yehovah. See, so Yehovah or Jehovah, right? Because there was no J's then. That Lord is actually Yehovah or Jehovah, which is who? We know that to be the devil, brothers and sisters. It says also the Jewish national name of God. We know that the Jewish people are the synagogue of Satan. So that word Lord is actually identical with Jehovah or Yehovah. So we know that, you know. That's an evil name, and that's not the Most High God. So now you have to understand the context of what the Scripture is saying when it's dealing in regards to Sarah and Abraham. It's just talking about being submissive and the husband being the superintendent of the home, being in control. It's not about the word Lord, but some people would just stick there because they're not rightfully dividing the word when the word Lord is actually uh, a demonic word. It has nothing to do with the Most High God. It's talking about Jehovah, the Jewish national name of God. Now, we're not Jewish. Revelations 2 and 9 tells you the Jewish people are the synagogue of Satan. So Lord is another name for Satan, brothers and sisters. I would not suggest that, you know, that you call your husband Lord. I mean, now you can do what you want to do, but I would not suggest it, brothers and sisters. Now, we're going to go to maybe two more uh, questions because we don't, you know, we probably can't go through them all, but we wanted to do our best to answer a couple of them. Um, what's the next question, brother? Um, the next question is, what is baptism of fire? The baptism of fire. All right, let's go to Matthew 3 and 11, brother, because I believe this is what they're speaking of. Usually when somebody is bringing up the baptism of fire... It's somebody who doesn't believe in the baptism of water and they're looking for a way to, you know, uh, manipulate out of, you know, going through the living water. So we, we, we'll go into it. We'll show you, brothers and sisters. Matthew 3 and 11. 
I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Right. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So a lot of Israelites will use this to say, yeah, baptism is with fire. So if that's the case, then tell me what baptism with fire is. And maybe that's why we're going to that. Maybe that's why somebody asked this question. So we'll, we'll go into it. Let's go to Zechariah 13 and 8. Zechariah 13 and 8, brothers and sisters. To give you the understanding of what the baptism of fire is. Zechariah 13 and 8. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. Now this is talking about the second coming of Christ when those who are following Christ, his people will be in the wilderness. Continue, brother. Verse 9. I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. So the baptism of fire is a purging period when Christ comes back to try those who will make it into the kingdom. Um, we're going to go to Second Ezra 13. So we can give a little bit more insight. Therefore, when somebody try to bring this on you, you can have the understanding of it. We're going to Second Ezra. Uh, we're going to read 13 and we're going to read 3 and 4. Second Ezra 13. And I beheld, and lo, that man waxed strong with the thousands of heavens. And when he turned his countenance to look, all the things trembled that were seen under him. And whensoever the voice went out of his mouth, and they burnt, that heard his voice, like as the earth faileth when it's, the earth faileth when it feeleth the fire. Now this is Christ, brothers and sisters. This is the second coming of Christ. Jump to verse 8 through 11, brother. Verse 8. And after this I beheld, and lo, all they which were gathered together to subdue him were sore afraid, and yet durst fight. Right, so there will be people, there will be armies that are looking to fight Christ, looking to subdue him when he comes back. They will be afraid, but they'll be compelled to fight. Continue. Verse 9, And lo, as he saw the violence of the multitude that came, he neither lifted up his hand, nor held sword, nor any instrument of war. But only I saw that he sent out of his mouth, as it had been a blast of fire. As it had been a... A blast of fire. And out of his lips as a flaming breath. And out of his tongue he cast out sparks and tempests. And they were all mixed together. The blast of fire. The flaming breath. And the great tempest. And fell with violence upon the multitude. Which were prepared to fight. And burnt them up everyone. So that upon a sudden of an innumerable multitude. Nothing was to be perceived. But only dust and smell of smoke. When I saw this, I was afraid. Now, Edris was having a vision, brothers and sisters. Now, this is the proof of what the baptism of fire is. When Christ comes back, he's going to purge the earth. He's going to, because why? Purging is cleansing, as we just read in the scripture before. We would be refined like silver and gold. So when Christ comes back, there'll be a baptism of fire. Through, not through him having a weapon, through his voice, through his words. Because why? The Most High created everything that there is through words. Let there be light. Let there be this. Let there be that. So when Christ come back, his word is going to be like a flame of fire. Read uh, read 11 again, brother. Verse 11. And they were all mixed together. The blast of fire, the flaming breath, and the great tempest. And fell with violence upon the multitude, which was prepared to fight. 
and burnt them up every one, so that upon a sudden of an innumerable multitude nothing was to be perceived, but only dust and smell of smoke. When I saw this, I was afraid. Right. That's crystal clear, brothers and sisters. So anybody who doesn't know what the baptism of fire is, therefore can't tell you that you don't need to be baptized. Because if they did, then you would ask them, okay, so you're saying the baptism is with fire. Then what is it? See? So Satan will always send somebody where there's truth. Wherever there's truth, Satan will send somebody as a deceiver in order to try to pull out all these scriptures that have nothing to do with the topic at hand you need to go through the water brothers and sisters at, because why that's you that's a form of repentance that's you saying okay uh Ahaya, i know something's wrong with me i know i've been wrong and i need a fresh start those who are rejecting the baptism are those same ones that's telling you you can't cook on the sabbath right. see because they're dealing in that pharisaical spirit they're looking on the outside and not the inside See, so usually those those spirits come hand in hand, brothers and sisters. So if you follow the doctrine of Christ, you must be baptized in water. And then Christ, when he come back, will baptize in fire. And I hope you're baptized in water when that time comes, because if you're not, <laughs> that'll be the end of you, brothers and sisters. And Christ went through the water. Christ, exactly. Christ went through the water, brothers and sisters. So are you following Christ or are you following whoever... Use the scripture to say, you know, you need to wait on the baptism of fire. See, if Christ did it, brothers and sisters, you need to do it. We need to do it. We've all done it. We're going to do two more questions. Um, brother, there's one on there. I think it says, what does this one say, brother? It says, please, please explain Philippians 2 and 6. Philippians 2 and 6. We're going to go there, brothers and sisters. Philippians 2 and 6. Let's see. Let's see. Read that, brother. Please. Philippians. Philippians 2 verse 6. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Okay. Um. Well, I, by the look of this scripture, somebody who doesn't have the understanding yet. I've had people use this scripture on me to say that Christ is God. And I'm just going to have to deal with it from there because it's not much uh, with this question. Read it, read it one more time, brother. Verse 6. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Okay, so a Christian will use this to say um, that Christ is God. But we know that that's not what the scripture is saying. In fact, we'll explain it to you. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 to, to give you the understanding of what this is saying. This isn't saying... That Christ is God. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Um, continue. Verse 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances, and I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. The head of Christ is God. Right. So this is crystal clear that Christ is not God. Read verse 3 one more time, brother. Verse 3. But I will have you know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of every woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Right. So they're two separate, uh, you know, they're two separate lives, brothers and sisters. 
Christ is not God. So anybody using that scripture to say that is incorrect. And we're going to give you insight on it. He said that he he found it not he could be he, he saw it fit to be equal with the most high God. Not that he is the most high God. If you're being equal to that means there's more than one. So let's go to John 5 and 26, brother, for further insight onto this question. John 5, verse 26. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given the Son to have life in himself. Read that again, brother. Verse 26. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given the Son to have life in himself. That's crystal clear. The Father hath life in himself, and the Son hath life in himself. They're not the same, brothers and sisters. They're not the same. Jump to verse 30, brother. Verse 30. I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father, which hath sent me. That's crystal clear. This is why he's saying he saw fit to be equal with the Most High. Because why? He didn't come to do his own will. He came to do the Father's will. So, for example, if a father run a business, and he go out of town, he leave his business to his son. His son will carry out his business the same way his father taught him. So if somebody need to come in to the business and say, I need to see the owner, then you are looking at the owner because I'm doing everything as my father told me to do. See, that's what this is saying. It's not saying that Christ is God. It's not saying that, brothers and sisters. Uh, brother, go to uh, John 6 and 20, uh, excuse me, 6 and 38. John 6 verse 38. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Read that again. Verse 38. For I come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. That's crystal clear, brothers and sisters. This is what Philippians 2 and 6 means. That's exactly what it means, brothers and sisters. He, can, he's, he You can view him equal to the Most High. Why? Because he came to do the will of the Most High, not himself. So I, I hope people are not using that scripture to say that. Christ is God because Christ never said he was God. He said he came to do the will of God. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15 and we'll go to our last one and close it out after this. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 15 and 27. 1 Corinthians 15 and 27. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he said all things are put under him, it is manifest that he accepted which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Right. So what this is saying is after judgment, after Christ judged the world, Christ will be judged himself. See, so Christ will be judged. So how could if Christ is God, how could he be judged? See, so understand Christ is the head of the man. But the head of Christ is the Father. That's what this is talking about, brothers and sisters. After all things are subdued, the world is subdued by Christ. Christ will then be subject to the Father. So we have to be clear that Christ is not God. We have reverence for Christ, but you don't worship Christ. That's the difference. Christ never said to worship him. You worship the Most High God. See? So that's what Philippians 2 and 6 is. Um, and then there was a question that said... 
What if a family member invites me to a Christmas celebration? A Christmas celebration. Good question, brothers and sisters, because I know a lot of us um, are following the Bible now, whether through the church or, you know, wherever they're following it, and they're doing a lot of reading, especially because now you have Internet and access to a lot of information. Um, that's a great question. If a family member invites you to Christmas, uh, we're going to 1 Corinthians 10 and 27. Because Paul spoke about this. 1 Corinthians 10 and 27. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before ye, eat. Ask no questions for conscience sake. So this is not saying... Eat unclean foods, brothers and sisters. This is saying if somebody, if a family member, if your auntie, your uncle, your grandma, your grandfather, your mother and father say, boy or, or daughter, I need you to come to the house for the Christmas dinner and respect your family. Then you must honor your mother and father because why? You didn't get the information to dis- disrespect those who, who who raised you. That's not why you got the information, even though you understand, right, that it, you know, it's pagan. You would be, you know, you would have the liberty to go because why? You're respecting your mother and father, right? Now, when they're praying to that God and doing all those ritualistics and opening presents and all of that stuff, I'm out the room. Listen, I'm out the room because why? You understand that they're dealing with another God. But once that's done, I'm coming back and I'm like, okay, can I get, you know, if there's no, if there's no pork in them greens and some of that rice, right? And some of that turkey. That's what this is saying. So you would have to use your wisdom. You respect your you, you respect your elders, no matter how much knowledge you have. I respect those who are older than me, even if there's you know don't have as much information as me. Why? Because, <clears throat> excuse me. Because some some information you can only get through living. You can't get everything through the Bible. You need to you know. Well, I don't want to say you can't get everything through the Bible, but there's some things you learn from just living. That's what I want to say. So there's, you know, there's older men out there and there's older women out there who may not have as much information as you, but they've gone through life, uh, you know, lessons of life. Therefore, they will be able to point you in the right direction. You need to be able to talk to somebody when the Bible's closed. When I first came into the truth, you know, um, as a youngster, I really didn't want to talk about anything other than the Bible. Therefore, if somebody didn't want to talk about the Bible with me on the phone, I didn't want to talk to him. But God dealt with me about that because he said, you when you're dealing with things in life, you need to be able to call your big brother. You need to be able to call so and so and get, you know, and have them talk to you about it, even if it had nothing to do with the Bible. So, brothers and sisters, we must always honor our elders because that's part of being in the truth. So somebody bids you to a feast. And you be disposed to go, which means you have time to go. Maybe even you're going there to share a little bit of truth and say, listen, dad, I'm here. You know, grandma, I'm here. But, uh, you know, after all of this is done, I want to show you Jeremiah 10. You know, I want to show you that this isn't right, but I'm here because I'm respecting you. Okay. So brothers and sisters, you know, if you if somebody bid you to a feast, even though it may be a pagan feast, you can use your liberty as long as you don't. You know, eat unclean foods and don't partake in the pagan ritual part. Okay? So, brothers and sisters, we have many more questions. But, you know, for the sake of time, we're going to pause those. And we'll do questions again uh, in the near future. Um, we want to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more.